0: Thanks for joining us today. We are excited you're here. Melissa is ready to share this case with us
1: today. And I have a feeling I might be getting riled again.
0: Oh, I think she will. Many of you might actually know the case for today. It was widely covered through social media and the news at the time when a lot of us had a little bit of extra time at home during the beginning months of the COVID-19 pandemic. There have been numerous documentaries on 2020, with Nancy Grace, on the Red Table, and on Netflix that have all covered the murder of Vanessa Guillen. So I may not bring you any new information today, but I am hoping that our case today will strike up some conversations about the foundations of this case and if the truth was ever really revealed.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious to hear your take on this. I think this is an important case
0: for us to talk about and cover. Oh, absolutely it is. Vanessa Gian was the 20 year old soldier that died on the Fort Hood military base in 2020. Her disappearance and murder caused an uproar about how the military investigates and deals with dirtbags. Vanessa had told her family at the tender age of 10 that she had wanted to serve her country. She wanted to emulate the passion and the valor that generations of her father's family had shown as they had served in their homeland. She was a patriot that believed that serving one's country was a mission. It was a calling to protect others. Wow, at 10 years old. That's remarkable. She just had this passion. As a baby, her parents had been told that she was frail, and because of breathing difficulties, she was not expected to live. But even then, she was a fighter. When her mother brought her home from the hospital, she was certain her daughter had been saved for a purpose. At the age of 18, even before she had finished high school, she enlisted in the army. Because she wanted to join as soon as she was done school? Mm Mm-hmm. She actually spent some time in the reserves on the weekends while she was attending high school. Wow. Much to the chagrin of her mother, though, who told her that it was not a place for women. Scared that something might happen to her little girl, she argued the merits of family life outside of the military. She didn't want her daughter to join.
1: As a mom, we can understand those reservations
0: for sure. Absolutely. And after researching this case, I totally get it but the athletic and vivacious Vanessa was determined and in June of 2018 reported to Fort Jackson. She loved her basic training, excelling at the grueling physicality and flying through her evaluations. Not a big surprise since she had been identified as gifted in school and had always excelled at almost everything she tried. She was stoked when she received her post in June of 2019. As a trained 9-1-F, she was assigned to the Echo Forward Support Troop Regimental Engineering Squadron of the 3rd Cavalry Regiment at Fort Hood. The military base is in the middle of Texas, situated halfway between Austin and Waco, and close enough to her family that she was able to travel home on her time off. Oh, that's great. It really was this kind of perfect situation where she got to do what she loved and she could still see her family. At Fort Hood, she dove into her role and was responsible for keeping a wide array of weapons, from small arms to towed artillery, operating properly and performing field and sustainment maintenance. When the pandemic hit and stay-home orders were placed for almost every place in the world, Vanessa's role was deemed essential and still required her to occasionally go into the office to complete tasks, while everyone else remained in their barracks. She was performing those duties on April 22, 2020, when she disappeared. On April 21st, Vanessa was asked to come in the next day by her superiors to complete an inventory of weapons that had not completed their services yet. On the morning of the 22nd, at 5.50am, she checked in like everyone else was checking in. It was COVID times and so accountability was being done a little bit differently. Through her phone, she checked in and reported herself as present for duty and placed her status as in the barracks. Shortly after 9 a.m. that morning, she reported through text that she was en route to go to the arms room in her quadrant. And at 10.03, she was in the arms room in her squad and had begun tagging inventory for servicing and filling out all the paperwork. She was wearing civilian clothes because it was COVID times. And shortly after arriving, she told another trooper that she was with that she needed to go to another arms room in Res A to record a serial number and that she would return. When she left, about 10.15, she left her personal items behind, and she said that she was going to be right back. What she needed to confirm in the Res A arms room was the serial number for an M250 caliber machine gun that needed servicing. At 10.23 that morning, Vanessa sent her very last text message. It was to Specialist Robinson, who was in the Res A arms room where she was headed to. It was a serial number for the gun that needed to be serviced. When she was done there, she was to report to the motor pool with her paperwork. She never arrived. The trooper that she was working with that day texted her shortly after 11 and then again shortly after lunch to tell her that he had to leave and that he was going to lock up her ID badge and things that she had left behind in his desk for safekeeping. He received no response and neither did any of her family that day that texted her. Multiple times, her boyfriend had texted her to see what she was up to. A trooper friend that had made plans to go out with her on a hike messaged her. Her sister texted her, but no one received any responses. By dinnertime that night, people were starting to get nervous. It was unusual for Vanessa not to be in contact with anybody. Two of the troopers that she had made friends with in her barracks checked her dorm and then started to look for her around the base, visiting the parking lot where her vehicle was and started driving along the jogging path that she liked to take. Vanessa's sister and boyfriend were so concerned with the lack of response that the two started to drive the over 200-mile trip towards the base that night. Oh, wow. They were super concerned, and they reached out to Vanessa's superiors along the way for answers around 8 p.m. That just shows how responsive she would have been in her
1: text messaging. Because normally, if you can't get a hold of somebody for a few hours, you're not going to start driving
0: 200 miles to go see them to check. No, they just had this really uneasy feeling because it was so unlike her. And they were talking back and forth to her friends that lived with her in the barracks. And they were concerned as well because they hadn't seen her.
1: And it shows how many people actually cared for her, how she played a vital role in so many people's lives. Because that's a lot of people
0: to text message her during the day. Mm -hmm. When her sister and her boyfriend arrived at 3 a.m., despite being told that someone would be waiting for them in Fort Hood, no one greeted them, and they had to spend the rest of the night sleepless at a motel until they could come back to the base the next morning to find out what had happened to Vanessa. In the meantime, the base was mounting its own search efforts for the missing soldier. By the time that Vanessa's absence was reported to her superiors, it was hours later, at 10pm. There had been a delay because she had been marked, as accounted for, in error during the afternoon and suppertime time accountability. What? There was a room inspection done shortly after 3 p.m. that day, and the person completing the inspection was under the understanding that he was only checking for room cleanliness and not doing an accountability check. When he sent his report to his supervisor shortly after 5, he submitted a thumbs up emoji via text. This other officer, who was in charge of completing personnel accountability, submitted this as the final day accountability reporting via text that Vanessa was in her barracks. He did this without confirming Vanessa's presence in the barracks. If he would have done so, he would have known earlier that no one had seen or heard from her all afternoon. This led to a huge delay in reporting her absence. Once the commander was notified, it was determined that because Vanessa wasn't the type to take off and she had left behind her debit card, her common access card, and keys saying that she would be right back, a search was organized that night.
1: But this is like twelve hours later now,
0: yeah, it's twelve hours later.
1: Oh my goodness,
0: Although not logged in any duty officer's log for that day or the staff journal, a six person search in teams of two was conducted between ten fifteen p m and two twenty five a m of the barracks, the parking lot, motor pool, and a walkthrough of both of Vanessa's and the res a arms room hallways was conducted during this preliminary search. They were just looking for her. They didn't search in any of the rooms in particular, just in the hallways. Hey, okay. that seems weird. If you're looking for somebody, you would want to look everywhere. Mm-hmm. But they were still looking for her as alive. So they were just going through places, calling her name. And yeah,
1: you don't just wander off for 12 hours. I could
0: see if she'd been gone for a half an hour and they're like, where'd she go? You were going to get so riled over this investigation. I can feel it brewing. In the days that followed, the military continued its investigation as family members mounted their own search for Vanessa. The military police investigators were called in on the morning of April 23rd, and the Criminal Investigation Division, or CID, took over the search on April 24th, shortly before lunch, and within three and a half hours had submitted a serious incident report to the U.S. Army Operations Center stating that Vanessa was a missing soldier whose disappearance occurred under unusual circumstances. While this all sounds very official, and like there would be a lot of experience in this team, it was pretty much the exact opposite. In a review of this investigation later, it was revealed that the average years of experience on this case was less than three. Oh. And the investigative team was understaffed and not well supported by upper command. The initial investigation into Vanessa's disappearance was plagued with missteps caused by that inexperience and lack of support, along with a focus on all the wrong things, like protecting the image and the line of authority over everything else, including fighting Vanessa. Oh, that riles me. This investigation seemed doomed from the start. Absolutely, it sounds that way. One of the first big missteps was not pinging Vanessa's cell phone immediately. They wrongly assumed that there wasn't much to worry about because Vanessa had not expressed any homicidal or suicidal tendencies, and it was still under 24 hours, so there wasn't any big rush to ping her phone. So immediately, they're saying, oh, if she's missing, it's her fault. Mm-hmm. They towed the line that after 24 hours, they would start to dig into things deeper. They did at this time check with local law enforcement to see if she had been picked up by them, though. Unusual since she didn't have any previous run-ins with the law. And she didn't even have her keys to go anywhere. No. When her cell phone location records were later requested from t mobile Sprint Company, it pinged at two twenty-eight on April 23rd in an open field next to a new housing development near the Leon River. Oh my goodness. The military police would coordinate with the Belton Police Department, who dedicated two vehicles and four detectives to assist in searching the pinged area. State troopers were brought in for aerial drone assistance, and watercraft assistance was requested from the Belton Fire Department. Even with all these efforts, the search of the pinged area didn't turn up anything, but that would be much later. The military's initial investigation, in addition to doing a more thorough search of Fort Hood and the surrounding area, included asking around about who had seen Vanessa last and establishing a correct timeline for when she had gone missing. They established that Specialist Robinson had been the last person to have any interaction with her. When questioned on April 28th, six days later, Specialist Robinson said that he had seen Vanessa in the Res A arms room and had provided her with the serial number and paperwork that she needed and that she had left to go to the motor pool. After Vanessa left, he had left. Vanessa's workmate confirmed that no one was in the arms room at 12.32 when he had briefly gone to look for Vanessa.
1: Why did it take six days to talk to the last person that's seen her?
0: Oh, that is just one of the many delays that you will see in this investigation. They're trying to figure out how to cover their tracks. That's why. That's what a lot of people think. Specialist Robinson said that he went to his off-post residence that he shared with his girlfriend, Cecily, and stayed there the rest of the night, with the exception of returning to the base around 6.30 to enroll in some training programs. His girlfriend, Cecily, would later confirm his alibi, and three other soldiers had already claimed to have seen Vanessa around 1.30 on April 22nd walking towards the motor pool. One of the soldiers said that Vanessa had looked upset when he saw her. In the reports, after these testimonies were given on April 25th, Vanessa's last sighting was revised and would be reported as occurring at 1.30 and sometimes even rounded to 2 o'clock that day. What? Who rounds the time of the last sighting? Dirtbags, that's who. Yeah. It would be a huge mistake. Later in the investigation, when timelines and evidence just wasn't adding up, the three soldiers agreed to have their phones looked into, and it was determined that all had given inaccurate information because they had all been at a promotion ceremony that had started at 1 p.m. in the motor pool. (gasps) When their memories were jogged about their activities on that day, they all revised their timelines and said they must have seen Vanessa between 10 and 11 that day.
1: Oh, yeah, because they waited six days to ask them. So, of course, they
0: didn't remember correctly. Mm-hmm. This correction, though, wasn't made until much later, allowing the dirtbag specialist Robinson to get away with his crimes and extend the suffering of the Gian family.
1: And honestly, there's no way that they mistakenly were like, oh, yeah, it was one thirty, maybe, two." They knew dang well that they were in that promotion ceremony at that time.
0: I do find it interesting that all of them made up the same story.
1: Yeah, because I think they were being coached, too. Because if you're like, OK, I saw her on that day we had the promotion ceremony, you would remember that you saw her before the promotion ceremony and that it wasn't after hmm So you'd know it'd have to be before 1 o'clock.
0: Yeah. But I'll just said they forgot what time the promotion ceremony started.
1: Yeah, baloney.
0: That's why there's a lot of people that believe there's still a big conspiracy about this case and all the truth hasn't been revealed, despite a huge investigation into the Army's actions after the case.
1: Yeah, you don't get this grand collective amnesia specified for that one day. It is very suspicious.
0: But really, none had any connection to specialist Robinson either to cover for him. Aaron David Robinson was brought up in Calumet, Illinois, and not much is known about his childhood aside from the fact that he graduated from Thornton Fractional North High School. While attending the school, he played varsity football and was described as quiet but well liked by his teammates. After graduating in 2017, Aaron joined the Army and, after completing basic training, was trained as a combat engineer and was sent to serve in Iraq for seven months in 2018. When he returned stateside, he was stationed at Fort Hood. In December of 2019, he moved in with a friend, Keon Aguilar, a fellow soldier that was also stationed at Fort Hood. The residence was off base, and Aaron got along well with his new roommate and Keon's wife, Cecily. A little too well. Oh, no. Yeah. Cecily and Keon were going through a rough patch in their relationship, and the introduction of another man on the scene was an addition that the two's marriage would not survive. Aaron provided the shoulder for Cecily to cry on, and soon the two were having an affair. By February of 2020, Cecily and Keon had separated, and Aaron and Cecily had moved into their own place. Oh. During this time in the army, it was noted in his proactive mental health exams that Aaron displayed some concerning tendencies. He shared some ideations that dealt with suicide and homicide. Both should have disqualified him from working in his position in the armory. Yeah, no kidding. Arendt also spoke of having a hit list to others in his barracks, but claimed that he never threatened to kill anybody. The names on his hit list have never been publicly published by the military. If Vanessa's name appeared on this list, it has never been confirmed or denied.
1: Wow, he sounds like a very dangerous individual who should not have been serving in the
0: army. With easy access to weapons. Yeah, always around weapons. Mm -hmm. But all of that would only be realized in hindsight. As would the realization that he had sexually harassed a soldier on the base from April to September of 2019. And maybe that's why the dirtbag had to find a different place to live off base. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But he's such a dirtbag, he couldn't help but take his friend's wife. That's right. The sexual harassment, which consisted of inappropriate texts and physical intimidation, wasn't reported at the time of its occurrence because the female soldier felt that there was a, quote, climate of drunkenness in the barracks and an unsafe environment that would not support a complaint if she had made one. There are several people that felt that Aaron had something to do with Vanessa's disappearance. But because his alibi had checked out at the beginning of the investigation, it took the investigative team a while to look into him. On the night of her disappearance, Vanessa's friends at the barracks were searching for her and tracked down Aaron. They had already figured out that he was the last person to talk to her. So they called him up to see what information he had. This trooper said when he called Aaron that, quote, he was acting like he just woke up and he said he didn't talk to her. Another trooper had the same idea while looking for Vanessa that night and said that when he called Aaron, he acted, quote, upset that everyone kept blowing up his phone. The next day, when a superior asked Aaron about Vanessa in front of everyone, he replied, quote, oh, I kept it professional and didn't say too much to her. But he had already told the two troopers the night before that he had said nothing to her. The two friends picked up on this inconsistency in his story, but the inexperienced investigative team missed that and several other things that they should have investigated deeper. Despite spending over 10,000 hours on the investigation, there were huge leads that they failed to follow up on and investigate because they were inexperienced, understaffed, and checklist-driven. Detective intuition and curiosity were not a part of the CID.
1: And do you think they honestly spent 10,000 hours on this?
0: That's what the report into the investigation later says that they did. Well, I don't know what they were doing for those 10,000 hours, but doesn't seem like it was being very productive. It definitely wasn't good police work. Aaron was brought in for questioning several times. During an interview on May 19th, the CID learned that Aaron had a cleared military weapon at home that he liked to play, quote, hide and seek with Keon with where Keon would hide and Aaron would search for him. When he found him, he would point the gun at him and declare, Ha, I found you. And this was before he stole his wife? Yes.
1: Okay, because I'm assuming they're not friends anymore.
0: Yeah, they're definitely not friends anymore.
1: No, that's a friends-off kind of
0: situation. It is. But that is an unusual game for two grown men to play.
1: Yeah. The last time I played hide-and-go-seek was with my children when they were
0: little. Mm Mm-hmm. And to add in the gun, that doesn't make it a game anymore. That's sinister. It is. The CID at this time, though, didn't follow up on that weapon. They didn't seize it. They didn't send it away for testing. They just let him keep it.
1: Well, and at this point, they don't even have a body.
0: No, they still think she's missing. Oh, There were so many big puzzle pieces that the CID failed to put together early in the investigation. All that time, Vanessa's family was essentially left in the dark as to what was happening to find her. The military was using every stereotype that you could use for a military in their approach to Vanessa's disappearance. Their press releases were cold and impersonal, and they shared no information, saying that it would compromise the integrity of the investigation or that the information was classified. Mm, I knew you were going to say that. From April 27th to May 21st the Guion family received no communication from the army about Vanessa's disappearance. In a review later, the lack of communication or miscommunication was blamed on the family misinterpreting the army's actions. The family became incensed with a care package that was sent because they believed it was charity. And the commanding officer would later deny Vanessa's mother the privilege of praying in the room where they believed that Vanessa was killed in, saying it would interfere with the investigation. What? All of this was very culturally important to them. All of these things tainted the relationship that was very hostile between the family and the military and spurred on the family's belief that nothing was being done to find Vanessa. It would certainly feel that way. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, searches were taking place with the coordinated effort between many different agencies. Coordinated foot, canine, drone, and helicopter searches were taking place. On April 27, the military posted a reward of $15,000 for leads on information that would find Vanessa. This reward would gradually be added to again by the Army and other agencies and supports to grow to $51,000. According to the later military report on the investigation that was done to find Vanessa, on April 29, the CID contacted Texas ECU-Search seeking assistance. The family would claim, though, that it was them that contacted the company and that the military was reluctant to allow them to help, and that it was only the public spotlight that forced their hand. This wonderful company, that is dedicated to finding missing people, would spend the next months helping coordinate searches on foot and ATVs. They used sonar to search the Belton Lake and three smaller lakes on Fort Hood, and aerial searches of the Leon River. But Vanessa's family didn't have any of this knowledge or updates from any of these searches. And Vanessa's official status posted by the army was AWOL. AWOL? Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's a slap in the face. It's a total slap in the face. Her case was treated as a missing soldier, even though they had said foul play was suspected.
1: Ooh, that's starting victim blaming right there, though. Oh, she's AWOL. And it's not treating it with the gravity that it
0: deserves. Not at all. The family would not accept the military's non-answers, so they took their voices to social media and mounted their own campaign to find Vanessa. They retained a powerful attorney and reached out to political powers. Both of Vanessa's sisters, Myra, her older sister, and Lupe, her younger sister, had the hearts of lions and the powerful voices of influencers. They fought hard to gain additional help and support to find their sister and to speak out with their mother against the attitude that prevailed in the military that everything would be handled under the chain of command. The Guillen family took to Facebook to bring awareness for Vanessa's disappearance, posting fundraising opportunities, press releases, and organizing rallies outside of the base's gates to demand answers. The family and the military were overwhelmed by the support that they received. One day before a scheduled rally in front of Fort Hood, officials provided a media release finally, giving an update on the search for Vanessa on May 21st, 29 days after she had disappeared. The intent of the media release was to correct the narrative that the army was not doing anything to find Vanessa. The context of the commander’s remarks were defensive, as he shared his belief that they were the appropriate level of command to engage at the time to handle the disappearance and that the media silence was necessary to protect the integrity of the case.
1: I'm not buying it, honestly. Maybe I'm being too skeptical about this, but I feel like they only even had that press release because the family forced their hand to. I cannot imagine how helpless that family was feeling at that time.
0: And with that helplessness, they took it to social media and they got the support they needed one way or another. And I do believe that their scheduled rally outside of the gates of Fort Hood is what forced the military to officially put together a press release about Vanessa's disappearance. After that, attempts to communicate with the family were more frequent, but by then there was no trust or goodwill between the family and the army at all.
1: No, how could there be?
0: The family was outside the gates telling everybody not to enlist until they found their family member.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I'm sure the army was not
0: appreciating that. No, not at all. Some blame the differences between how communication was handled between the American and Hispanic cultures, but I'm not sure that can ever be the full explanation. The need for a parent to know where their child is, is pretty universal.
1: Yeah, that has nothing to do with your racial background. I'm sorry.
0: Prompted by her mother's gut feeling, one day in late June, well into the investigation, Myra made a social media post about a secret that her sister Vanessa had shared with her family. The family had long felt that the army's lack of answers had something to do with a cover-up of some sorts. That was the only way they could explain the army's silence. In desperation, Myra posted her sister's secrets. While serving in Fort Hood, she had been sexually assaulted by a superior. Vanessa had only begun to open up to her family about the ordeal because her mother was persistent in telling her that she knew something bad was going on with her daughter. She could sense it, and others in the family had noticed signs during her time home with them. From January to March, her family had noticed that Vanessa was not her usual bubbly self, that she was withdrawn and had started to lose weight. With her mom pressing for information over time, Vanessa revealed that Fort Hood was an awful place, but she wouldn't give her all the details, saying it was too much for her mother to handle, and that when she was ready, she would report the harassment when Myra shared her suspicion that the sexual assault might have something to do with her sister's disappearance, the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen, was created and took on a life of its own. Thousands of soldiers that have served in or are serving in the military took to social media to tell their stories of abuse, no longer willing to suffer in silence. Women and men stepped forward to share stories on how they had suffered at the hands of superiors, directly or indirectly, when they were brave enough to come forward and tell the commanding officer about the abuse. And tragically, the greater proportion of people that now came forward admitted that they had been too scared or ashamed to have ever reported the abuse in the first place. Scared of retaliation for their careers, ashamed because they had not been able to protect themselves when they were supposed to be the protectors. Oh, that is so heart-wrenching, Melissa. It was absolutely heartbreaking to read their stories. And so many of them, it sounds like. Thousands.
1: Oh, one is too many, let alone thousands. This is an epidemic.
0: Part of what Vanessa's case brought to light was how the military was handling their sexual assaults and how when you reported a sexual assault, you reported it to the superior that was possibly the one abusing you. And then they have the right to decide if they're going to prosecute or not. Because the military retains all of the command and all of the control.
1: I don't even know what to say about that. I just cannot even imagine just how alone they would have felt in that. Because protocols have to be followed. And so they would have felt helpless.
0: Absolutely. And it wasn't just the chain of command, but it was the culture that was created on the base. That even if somebody came forward, they would be ostracized by fellow soldiers because they had made a complaint. Yeah, because they had turned on their
1: fellow trooper. Right. That's such backwards thinking that they're now viewing the victim as the dirtbag
0: and the one that was threatening the troop, when in reality, it was the aggressor that was threatening the integrity of the troop. Yeah. Oh, this is such a dangerous way of thinking. Mm hmm. Amid the tidal wave of sexual abuse stories, Fort Hood commanders denied the allegations saying that there were no reports that Vanessa had ever complained about being sexually harassed. But her family was adamant with their story that they knew what they had been told by Vanessa and why she hadn't reported it. Her mother would say that Vanessa told her that, quote, I can't speak up, mom. There are numerous women. There are countless women reporting it, and they just get laughed at. That is a second violation
1: to have that courage to report it and then just to have it laughed off
0: hmm Vanessa's mom said that one of the reasons she didn't come forward was because she felt like she had sworn an oath of loyalty to the army, and that coming forward wouldn't change anything. She said, quote, They won't listen to you because the jurisdictions of the army are very different from civilian jurisdictions. I already went to the police, and they said I was a liar. What happens here stays on the base. Vanessa's lifelong dream of serving in the military had turned into a nightmare. What was happening at Fort Hood wasn't a big secret. Years of stats and reports made it very clear that missing soldiers and sexual assaults were just some of the many problems that showed cracks in the leadership climate at Fort Hood. In 2020 alone, there were over 28 deaths, only one of which was combat related. What? Eight died in accidents. Seven died by suicide. For five, the cause was undetermined. And five were homicides. It has been the scene of two mass shootings, one in 2009 and one in 2014. And it was the site of a prostitution ring where superiors were prostituting their subordinates. (gasps) No way. Yeah. It's not that any one of these things can't or don't happen elsewhere, but Fort Hood definitely had more than its fair share.
1: And it should be held to a higher standard.
0: Mm -hmm. The saddest thing about this case is that when Vanessa went into the military, her mother feared fighting some offshore's enemy. And the enemy was right in the base with her. The ones that were supposed to be fighting alongside her were the ones that were attacking her. That's horrible. A senior non-commissioned officer who wished to remain anonymous blamed the violence on leadership saying, quote, The toxic leadership boils down to the lack of integrity, lack of enforcing standards, and a selfish approach to leading, typically because there's a political agenda motivating them. And this statement was made years before Vanessa went missing, and the budget cuts and the pandemic really lowered staffing and heightened tensions on the base, creating an all-time low in morale. While searching for Vanessa, searchers came across the skeletal remains of another soldier, and a new homicide investigation had to be started. The remains were later identified as the missing Fort Hood soldier Gregory Morales, who'd gone missing in August of 2019, almost a year prior. Morales had been listed as a deserter, and his own death is still under investigation. Still? hmm
1: And they're like, oh yeah, he's a deserter, when he was likely murdered.
0: He was murdered. They know it was foul play, but they wrote it off as a deserter and stopped looking for him.
1: So they know he was murdered and they're like, nah, he's a deserter. We'll leave it at that because that doesn't look as bad on us.
0: Well, he was labeled as a deserter, so they didn't have to look for him. And then while they were looking for Vanessa, they found his body and then figured out, oh, that's a murder. And now they had to open up this whole new murder investigation.
1: Which still isn't solved.
0: Which still is not solved. Wow. There was obviously a huge problem at Fort Hood. But the CID adamantly denied the allegations that Myra had posted, that had ignited the I am Vanessa Guillen movement. They continuously told their story that they found no evidence of Vanessa being sexually assaulted, although they started to admit that there was suspicion of foul play surrounding her disappearance. In the early months of 2020, Vanessa's mental health had declined, and she had become more withdrawn and suicidal. Her family and friends noticed, and she told a few of them about the abuse but when they sought to get her help, superiors would not take the complaint seriously, and she faced backlash from talking about the incidents. It appears at the time that she tried to push it aside and resigned herself that one day that she would come forward and fight back, but at this time instead she began to focus her energy and efforts on remaining positive and enjoying her growing relationship with her boyfriend who had proposed to her in the spring. Unfortunately, Vanessa was never able to plan her wedding or get to see those responsible for her sexual assault brought to justice. Instead, she met with Aaron Robinson on the morning of April 22nd. That's so sad.
1: And did her boyfriend know that all this was happening to her? Because I can't imagine him being okay with her continuously going to work knowing that she's being sexually assaulted. I don't think he knew about it.
0: There were a couple of troopers on the base that knew that Vanessa had confided in them only after they had asked her if she was okay after he saw a dramatic change in her demeanor. And she confided in him and he had offered to help her go and report the superior. But she had declined at that time.
1: She was scared.
0: Yeah. And then there was another one that offered and he actually went to a superior and let them know. And that's when she started to get backlash from the superiors, calling her out during training.
1: That's terrible. Mm -hmm. And these two troopers, when the investigation was going on, didn't come forward right away to say, actually, this is what we know?
0: They did. Okay. But the military still denied it.
1: Oh, And that's the problem is this is all military base. It's not a big police investigation.
0: No, the large portion of the investigation is being handled by the military. And they're just relying on the public police forces just to help them out with pieces of the search, not the whole investigation. As a resource, really. Right. And the military was relying on, well, there was no official report ever made. So obviously, there was no sexual assault.
1: Because she reported it and you declined to put it in as a report.
0: Right. So then they could deny that there was ever an official report.
1: Oh, we're a clean podcast and it's a good thing because it's making me want to swear.
0: Yeah, it's just so wrong.
1: It's so infuriating. Mm -hmm. And especially with the I Am Vanessa movement, we know that this is a rampant thing. This is not a one-off case.
0: No. And we know that it happens at more places than just Fort Hood, but Fort Hood was a cesspool.
1: Well, yeah, if they're running a prostitution
0: ring from there. Mm Wow. It was just so bad. On June 20th, working with the information from witness statements made way back on May 18th, they found witnesses had observed Aaron moving a heavy tote into his car around 8.30pm. And using his cell phone location the night of the disappearance, the search area was narrowed down to a location by the bridge along the Leon River. Aaron's cell phone pinged around the bridge at one fifty-nine am and remained in the area for two hours that night.
1: Oh, And was this close to where her cell phone had pinged? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Not surprised. The investigation into this case is one of the most frustrating ones I have ever researched. One of the witnesses that came forward was Keon, Cecily's estranged husband. He came forward shortly before he was discharged from the Army. He, too, would become a murder victim in his own home during what was termed a domestic dispute in reports. Keon told the CID that he had seen Aaron moving a military tote the night of Vanessa's disappearance, and that Aaron had told him that he had murdered a woman. Keon had gone to the police and reported what he had learned, but it wasn't until June 20th that they started to put all the pieces together. After getting Aaron's permission to search his phone records, which revealed that he was by the river on April 22nd.
1: My mind is blown. So do they know who murdered Keon? Was he being murdered to shut him up?
0: That hasn't been released in the media. They said it, there was a family disturbance and there was four people involved.
1: That's wild. Well, I'm glad Keon
0: tried to do the right thing. He did. A search of the area that was about 30 minutes from Fort Hood revealed an area that looked like it had been burned. And a charred piece of a heavy-duty tote was there. At the site, there was a disturbed pile of dirt that went about three feet into the ground. But no human remains were found. Cadaver dogs were brought in, but they didn't pick up any reliable sense, and this led investigators to focus the search on the nearby river, believing that that is where Vanessa might be found. After 76 days of searching, Vanessa's remains were found only a few feet away from the previously found burnt spot. Around 1 p.m. on June 30th, Contractors working on a fence near the Leon River discovered an area of concrete that appeared to have bits of human hair sticking out of it.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Pieces of Vanessa's body were found in three separate holes, approximately three feet deep. Vanessa's body parts were covered in lime and concrete and then had rocks, dirt, and other debris spread over top. Rain over time had camouflaged the spots to just look like all the other terrain. Tim Miller, director of Texas ECU Search, stated that it was the most sophisticated burial site he had ever seen. Vanessa's family were devastated, but the calls to find Vanessa now turned to calls for justice for Vanessa. With the discovery of the body, Aaron became the CID's lead suspect.
1: Oh yeah, because now they have a body and they can't sweep it under the rug anymore.
0: Exactly. They slowly, very slowly followed the evidence to him.
1: Well, even how come it took so long if this was only a few feet away from where the
0: burn was? Animal activity was suspected to have exposed a piece of the concrete in one of the holes after the June 20th investigation at the site. And that led to the decaying odor being released. And it was the smell that had prompted the worker to investigate closer in that area. Okay. And thankfully, that worker went to go check it and noticed the hair. Mm -hmm. How horrible. It would be awful.
1: In such a degrading way to dispose of her body.
0: As we'll get into, it took them several days to accomplish this. This wasn't just a one-shot, two-hour ordeal. No. And supposedly the military was searching for her at this time. And they had helicopters supposedly out looking for her on the 25th.
1: And it would have been fresh at that time. The rain would not have had time to weather it to look like the rest. Right. You would think it would stick out like an eyesore.
0: You would think. When I think of the military conducting a search, I envision them being very efficient at searching.
1: To be detail-oriented.
0: But they were not.
1: Yeah. The math's not mathing.
0: Yeah. Despite not having positive DNA to match to Vanessa, searchers were 99% sure it was her. And they had Aaron put secretly under guard at 5.08pm the same day that the remains were found. Aaron was already being restricted to his barracks because a soldier that he had worked out with had been diagnosed with COVID-19. The non-commissioned officer that was put in charge of Aaron's surveillance was told to watch him directly for the next 24 hours because the CID wanted to speak with him. To accomplish this, Aaron was moved into a conference room at his residence after being escorted to his room to collect a blanket and personal items that he would need to spend the night in the conference room. When Aaron was placed in the conference room, he wasn't told the reason why, but he complied with the order, and he appeared relaxed but upset about being under guard. He sat in the room playing on his phone and chatting with Cecily and playing on his Nintendo DS. Ugh. He was allowed to leave the conference room to return to his room to collect different things and go to the bathroom several times throughout the night, always under guard, and each time returned without incidents. At times, there were staff that didn't perform direct observation, instead just completing spot checks because there was not clear communication to do so. Instead, they checked on Aaron about every 20 to 25 minutes or so. As the evening progressed, his demeanor became more and more agitated as he viewed the news on his phone. Seeing that human remains had been found, he talked to Cecily saying, quote, Babe, they found pieces. They found pieces. <gasps> Aaron was also overheard saying, quote, don't believe what you hear about me, when he was assumed to have been talking to his mom. He began pacing closer and closer to the door and at 10.05 made a run for it. He knew his goose was cooked. Uh-huh. If that doesn't scream guilt, I don't know what does. It's complete guilt. At 10.10, the military police arrived on the scene and the CID was called and the CID called the Kailan Police Department to help locate Aaron who had somehow gotten away from the base. A massive combined manhunt began, and almost two hours later, Aaron was located walking in the 4700 block of East Rancier Ave, and as officers attempted to apprehend him, he pulled out his hide-and-seek gun and shot himself. What? He was pronounced dead at the scene at one seventeen am on July 1st.
1: No. Good riddance to him, but at the same time, you just feel like
0: justice isn't served then. Not at all. This dirtbag's final action sealed his lips forever, which doesn't seem like justice, and the only answers about the reasons for Vanessa's death would have to be given by his accomplice. Cecily Ann Aguilera was born Cecily Ann Brown on June 8, 1998, in Jackson, Michigan.
1: His girlfriend knew about it?
0: She was part of it? She was part of it.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: There is very little known about who her parents were. But we know that her early years with them were unstable, and at the age of 12, in 2010, she entered the foster care system. Her time in foster care was not a good one. Feeling lost and alone, she fled to the streets at the age of 16, preferring to sleep on a park bench. Being resourceful, though, Cecily graduated from Columbia Options High School in Clark Lake, Michigan in 2017. And less than a year later, on May 8th, she married Keon, a soldier who was five years older than her. When Keon was stationed at Fort Hood, they both moved to Texas in 2019. Shortly after moving to Texas is when Aaron moved in with the newlyweds in December. Around the same time that Cecily ran into a little bit of trouble with the law. She was arrested for theft in the same month in Bell County, which is a far leap to murder. It is, and I still don't understand how she gets to what she does. Yeah, cuz she doesn't sound too terrible yet. It's true. I did find an interview done with Cecily's former friend, and she said that Cecily often came across as a person that wanted to lead and be in charge, which I think makes sense with somebody that has lived on the street. Oh, yeah, I could see that. But at the same time, she said that she also had a need to feel loved by men who were around her and that she would do anything for them. Even the wrong kind of man. That's right. That's a recipe for disaster for sure. It is. And I think that... At this time in her life, there was a lot of turmoil going on. With all the trouble she was facing with her criminal charges and marriage being less than she had imagined, Cecily was primed to fall for the new soldier that had moved into her house, the one who was her shoulder to cry on. In February, Kian and Cecily separated, and Cecily moved in with Aaron. Cecily had been on the investigators' shortlist ever since she had been caught providing a false alibi for Aaron. But even investigators were taken back by her involvement with the murder. In her June 19th interview, when she was confronted with the evidence that she had called Aaron several times the night of the disappearance when they were supposedly together, she made up a lie about losing her phone and the two of them calling each other to locate it. When investigators pointed out in a subsequent interview that some of the calls were over a minute long and that Aaron's phone was pinging around the bridge, she had come up with a second story of how they had left the house that night to calm her anxiety by looking at the stars along the river all of these different stories and inconsistencies made the police very suspicious of her involvement with Aaron when Vanessa's remains were found and Aaron was placed under surveillance Cecily was pulled over while riding in a Dodge Caravan and was detained for being in a barred area of the Fort Hood military reservation she was taken into an interrogation room at 8:30 p.m. and questioned about Aaron and what she knew about his activities investigators still hadn't grasped her involvement so they were mostly just curious about what she knew about Aaron. At first she defends Aaron but when the detective draws attention to the smell in the room coming from his clothes because he had been wearing them at the site where Vanessa's dead body had been found, Cecily starts into her version of events and police end up arresting her that same night. She tells them that on April 22nd, Aaron picked her up from work and took her down by the river and told her he had something to show her. When they arrived, he showed her Vanessa's body in a massive black tote that had wheels. She said Aaron had put a gun to her head and threatened her so that she would help him dispose of Vanessa's body and the incriminating evidence. She described in detail how over the next several days they had used a hatchet and a machete-like knife to remove Vanessa's head and limbs and then had dug several holes and dispersed the body pieces into the holes after their attempt to burn the body didn't work. Cecily claimed that Aaron killed Vanessa, hitting her with a hammer several times to her face and head because she had seen Cecily's picture on his phone the day that she was in the arms room with him. She said that Aaron had feared that Vanessa would turn him in for being involved with another soldier's wife, and the military has very strict rules about fraternizing. He was afraid that she would turn him in, so he killed her. Yeah, no. That was the story that Cecily told.
1: And wasn't she divorced, or were they just separated? They were
0: just separated at the time. And I did look it up, and the military does have some really strict fraternizing rules. Okay. But there are a few holes in her story.
1: And honestly, if a person can get reported for sexual assault and nothing's going to happen, I doubt anything's going to happen with that either.
0: Well, it almost looks like they took fraternizing more seriously... The idea behind the fraternizing rules was because it would disrupt the camaraderie between the troops.
1: But sodomizing or raping somebody isn't going to?
0: Yeah. I don't understand it, but that was the rule.
1: Seriously, Melissa. Yeah,
0: it's so wrong.
1: It seems very backwards thinking that adultery is considered a worse offense than sexual assault. It's all backwards. Neither are great, but one is by choice and the other is not.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And this was just one of the holes in Cecily's story. When asked if it was normal for Aaron to fly off the handle, or if he would be violent, Cecily told investigators that he had never once raised a hand to her, but that she did know him to go into moods in which he would not be his normal self, and he would almost develop what she described as a tick. The investigators still doubted that Cecily was telling the whole story, though, because of the inconsistencies in her story. She said that Aaron had taken her out to the river and pointed a gun at her head, making her participate in cutting up Vanessa's body at gunpoint. That before they arrived at the river, she had no idea he had killed Vanessa. But investigators caught her in a lie when she talked about the concrete that they had used to pour over Vanessa's body. She said that they had used concrete on both nights, bought from Facebook Marketplace so they wouldn't leave a receipt trail, and investigators were able to prove that they actually inquired about the concrete and collected other supplies before they went to the river that first night. As her story broke down, police were able to sift through all of her lies. Cecily told the authorities that she had been the one to remove Vanessa's body from the tote because Aaron couldn't bring himself to do it, and that it had been her idea on how they covered up the body. She had gotten the ideas from watching CSI and Criminal Minds. The job had been bigger than they anticipated, though, and they had had to return on April 26 to finish it. And they were supposedly searching this whole time, and yet they're out there digging and mixing concrete and cutting up bodies by the river where they're supposedly running helicopters over.
1: And not getting it done in one night. It's not like the middle of the night they're there for a couple of hours. They're coming back to finish the job. Mm -hmm. And what a bloody mess there, too, cutting up the body. This was not a clean, quick little thing.
0: No. And they had dug four holes and only used three. Like they were making plans as they were going along. It wasn't all pre-planned. It was a messy, messy scene.
1: It was disorganized. Yeah. So does that mean that they didn't actually look or they looked the other way?
0: I don't know. There's both sides of the conspiracy theory that will say one or the other.
1: My guess is they didn't even look because I don't know how you could look the other way if you saw something like that
0: happening. Well, they had stopped looking for that other soldier a year before and his body was just by the base.
1: So I think they're reporting that they're looking maybe and not. Maybe they don't want to find the bodies because then that looks bad on them.
0: So in the report put out by the military about the investigation after, they do say that they collaborated with several other police departments and that search to say that they were searching. So, okay. there must have been
1: some searching taking place. There had to have been, but they weren't very quick in their actions either. No,
0: it was a delayed search for sure. While police had Cecily in custody, questioning her, they had her call Aaron in hopes to catch him saying something incriminating while she was on the phone with him. And she agreed to have them record the conversation. While on the phone, Cecily asked, What are we going to do if we get caught? And Aaron replied, Quote, I don't know. When Cecily told him, quote, I'm going to tell the truth, I can't keep, I can't keep doing this, Aaron simply replied, okay, as long as Cecily didn't abandon him. The two discussed turning themselves in, and Aaron said that he would, if she would meet him first. They discussed the news reports that officials had recovered human remains, and that's when Aaron had been overheard saying, quote, babe, they found pieces, they found pieces. Shortly after Cecily learned that Aaron had shot himself, she went with the police to the Leon River and helped them find the remaining two sites where Vanessa was buried. While helping find the remains, Cecily said that she would like to tell the Guillen family that she was quote, sorry, sorry I didn't speak up, sorry they lost their daughter too soon. Cecily was arrested on July 1st, 2020, and booked into the Bell County Jail in Texas. On July 2nd, federal authorities from the United States Attorney's Office for the Western District of Texas filed a criminal complaint against the 22-year-old Cecily and charged her with conspiracy to tamper with evidence. Two weeks later, she pled not guilty to that charge. On July 13th, Cecily was further charged with 11 more charges by the federal grand jury. Later, a judge dismissed her legal team's attempts to have her confession thrown out. After hearing all the evidence against her, she pleaded guilty to accessory to murder after the fact and three counts of making false statements on November 29, 2022. On August 14, 2023, Cecily was sentenced to 30 years in prison and a further three years of supervision upon release. She was also fined $1 million. The prosecution made the statement following her sentence. Quote, we're not talking about a person that has any remorse here. Anyone could say sorry. Two words are easy to say. It's what you did. The crime that you committed, the harm that you have done to this community and this family and all these people. We are hoping that this sentence will bring some sense of relief and some sense of justice to the Guillain family who has waited so long for this moment. The actions of this defendant are indefensible and the appropriate sentence was handed down. Over three years after her death occurred, at least one person was held accountable for their actions. The confession and the conviction did little to meet the family's calls for justice, though. They still have many more questions to be answered, and they still believe very strongly that the military has not yet been a hundred percent honest with them, and there are many along with them that still believe that a military cover-up took place regarding Vanessa's death. Many don't believe the motive that Cecily provided. While the army does have a fraternizing rule, why would Aaron have become so concerned about Vanessa's knowledge of his relationship with Cecily, when very clearly her estranged husband, Keon, knew of their relationship as well?
1: That's true, and he didn't kill him. No. I'm sure a lot of people knew about it. Right. And just because all of a sudden a fellow trooper sees a picture on your phone, you're going to escalate immediately
0: to murder with a hammer, a very vicious murder? When his girlfriend said she had never seen any violent tendencies from him. Yeah, I'm not buying it. No. And then there was the outright sloppiness of the whole investigation that was carried out. And the lack of video surveillance that was recorded on the base that night of Vanessa's murder. The only documentation of the Res A. arms room being investigated was on July 9th. Nine days after Cecily told investigators that that's where the murder took place and months after first witnesses had put Vanessa in there with Aaron. When they did eventually get around to doing a secondary search of the arms room, they found traces of blood all around the room and a missing hammer from the Res A toolkit. Many question how it was possible for Aaron to clean up the amount of blood that would have been produced by multiple vicious blows to the face in the limited amount of time that he had been in the arms room. Records show that he left the arms room shortly after 11 that morning, and he had removed Vanessa's body by 8.30 that night, according to Cecily and other eyewitnesses. All of this was done on a military base where cameras were conveniently not functioning that day.
1: Oh, I was going to ask about the cameras. So they've erased the tape, possibly.
0: The official line is that the cameras weren't functioning.
1: Of course not. Just that one day. Yeah. And... They knew that that was the room that she was heading to when she, quote unquote, went AWOL. Mm -hmm. But they didn't investigate and check that room to notice that a hammer was missing and there was blood evidence everywhere.
0: No, it wasn't until after her body was found that they did any luminol investigation whatsoever. Till Cecily said that that's where she was murdered. Right. It was a very frustrating investigation to research. And these are all the reasons why the family does not believe they have the full truth. They don't. Vanessa's mother, Gloria, told the host of The Red Table, Gloria Estevan, that she doesn't even believe that Aaron committed suicide, saying, quote, I think somebody set him up so he wouldn't speak. I want to see proof that that coward committed suicide. I want to see videos. I want to see where he's buried, because he knew something. The Keelan police body cams and dash cam recordings have never been released. Gloria also said an anonymous source inside the base contacted her and told her the cameras had been switched off the day Vanessa was murdered. She said that she was told, quote, your daughter was kidnapped on orders from higher up. There is something very wrong going on in there. Many women have been raped there. Interestingly, Aaron's body was removed from the scene before an investigation was done, which some have pointed out is a violation on how Texas handles suicide scenes. Typically, they're handled just like homicide scenes.
1: Yeah, and for good reason.
0: Mm -hmm. Of course, the military denies all of these claims. In December of 2020, an extensive review of Fort Hood was completed. The seven-member team investigated 151 witnesses, took over 188 hours of witness testimony, and reviewed 6,138 emails from 398 individuals and analyzed 11,816 pages of documents. Their report on Fort Hood was scathing. They reported that, quote, we saw their barracks with cracked foundations, moldy walls, dingy furniture, and poorly lit hallways. Soldiers were living in rat-infested tenements. Families were living in black mold-infected homes with asbestos tiling and cracking foundations. We heard from teary-eyed mothers who begged for assistance because their children, in fact their infants, were sleeping on moldy mattresses and developing asthma. We heard from military spouses who were afraid for their husbands and their wives, for their overwork, their exhaustion, their misery and depression, afraid they would come home to find their loved one hanging in the shower or dead on the floor. We met with junior enlisted women who described a culture of sexual harassment, a culture of leaders watching as women and men were harassed before their eyes but kept silent. Squad leaders and platoon leaders who seemed either unwilling or unsure of how to help them. So their harassment became just another hazard of being a soldier, and no one was held accountable, not one leader stepped forward. The report also says that soldiers were suffering under leaders who had lost their way, crushed by unsustainable training calendars, deployment schedules, and careless leaders chasing after the next rank instead of caring for their soldiers. This report is a damning indictment on Fort Hood and its leadership. In April 2021, another report that looked specifically into Vanessa's death was released. The committee found that the Army Criminal Investigation Division was unstable, underexperienced, overassigned, and under resourced, leading to inefficiencies that had an adverse impact on investigations, especially cases involving sex crimes and soldiers' deaths. During Vanessa's investigation, the CID detachment received almost no support from their battalion leadership, resulting in an undermanned, inexperienced team investing a high profile disappearance. They were severely under equipped to carry out proper investigation. They didn't have specialized tools readily available, like cell phone tracking, data extraction tools, or the ability to go to a magistrate and draft and develop a probable cause to get a warrant. Wow. Yeah. In the report, the military finally admits that investigators found two incidents of Vanessa being sexually harassed by a superior.
1: Oh, they magically found them.
0: Yeah. Once when Vanessa was propositioned for a threesome in Spanish, and once when she was peeped on while performing personal hygiene. The reports admit that Vanessa, along with others, had brought these concerns forward to her superiors. The report also admits that they were not taken seriously but the report that was released was adamant that Aaron was not the perpetrator, that they had no relationship prior to April 22nd when he killed her. The findings of these reports led the Army officials to discipline 21 commissioned and non-commissioned officers, and there were many recommendations made for Fort Hood's improvement. On the eve of the one-year anniversary for Vanessa's murder, the Army dedicated the gate that leads to the 3rd Cavalry Regiment entrance to her memory. Part of Fort Hood's reform included a new name. The fort was renamed this year to Fort Cavazos. After her discovery, Vanessa's family continued to fight alongside other advocates for change in the way that the military handled crime within its ranks. Continuing to be the voice for so many soldiers that had shared their stories under the I am Vanessa Guion hashtag, the family told their story over and over again to raise awareness, lobbying for change. The military has always been allowed to have complete command and rule over its soldiers. They claim that's what's needed to maintain authority and make sure that they can keep their soldiers safe, giving superiors and commanders the authority to decide what crimes would be investigated, prosecuted, and punished. Vanessa's death helped bring light to the fractures of that system. In 2021, state and federal lawmakers passed legislation honoring Vanessa that removed some of that authority from commanders and gave survivors more options to report sexual abuse and harassment. But many say the law doesn't go far enough. In August of 2022, the Guillem family filed a $35 million lawsuit against the military for wrongful death, but no ruling has been made on that yet. And that is the case of the utterly despicable dirtbags Aaron David Robinson and Cecily Ann Aguilar, whose crimes were so atrocious that it ignited a nationwide change in how the U.S. military conducts its affairs. And hopefully those ripples that were created by this family's fight for justice will continue to be felt far into the future. And that will be the legacy that Vanessa will have.
1: I feel like this case brings up more questions than it gives answers to. I feel like there's so much more that we still need to learn about this that is being hidden from the public.
0: Absolutely. And the military makes it seem like they've released all the information, but the amount that's redacted from their files makes it impossible to know actually what's going on. There are some that have suggested that, okay, maybe it wasn't Aaron that was abusing her before, but that doesn't mean that he didn't make an attempt to sexually assault her that morning. And maybe she fought back.
1: That's what I'm thinking. I don't think that was just because she saw a picture on his phone. I don't believe that
0: at all. It doesn't make any sense. Not because Keon, who knew of the affair was still an active member at the military at that time, he could have easily turned him in. He would have been the bigger threat.
1: Right. And they were living together. They weren't hiding it. No. They were living together and people knew that. Mm -hmm. And when you talked about the possibility of this being an order from higher up, that gave me chills. What if it was? It would be sad. Because what are the chances that the cameras were just conveniently not working that one day? And she was not reported officially as missing for 12 whole hours.
0: Yeah. In the report about the investigation, the military does come up with lots of excuses of why all those things happened. And it was just this series of unfortunate events that just kept on piling up and piling up about why her investigation was handled so poorly. But it all does seem very coincidental.
1: And this is the military who we hold at a higher standard.
0: Exactly. Should not
1: be making these types of mistakes.
0: No. I think when most of us think about the military, we think about their honor and their service and their experience in handling situations like this.
1: Yes, we put them on a bit of a pedestal.
0: Mm -hmm. And really, that's where they should be.
1: Yes, this was a difficult case. I felt enraged with the things that were happening in this particular case. We're not saying this is how it is with all military And we are very grateful for the service that our military does serve to all of us.
0: Absolutely. But I think at the same time, we need to speak out and others need to speak out and make sure that those that are so honorably serving our countries are afforded the same protections and the same rights to not be sexually assaulted.
1: Yeah. And if you are to have that taken seriously.
0: Absolutely.
1: With that being said, we're always curious what our listeners feel Keep it respectful, but let us know what you think about this case. And to all our veterans that have served, for this Remembrance Day, we want to say a big thank you. We will forever appreciate the sacrifices that you make.
0: All of your sacrifices. Until next week. See ya. Bye.
1: Has seen better days.
0: <laughs> it's not enough air in the bags.
1: Yeah. Us two train.
0: Us two. <laughs> it does sound really rough. I would say it's a 250.
1: Okay. <laughs> As the expert on fighter arms,
0: <laughs> <laughs> she, she needs the serial number from a machine gun. <laughs> oh, I got to say that all over again. I'm sorry. Because it's such a stupid long oh, run on sentence. That's okay. That's. Yeah, this is – I love your face because you're like, this doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't. (laughs) That's why there's so many conspiracy theories about it. Thousands of – soldiers? (laughs) Thousands of – no, I can say this.
1: Sorry, I'm just like so bothered by this case.
0: Again, I've I've got a whole paragraph that's a single sentence. It's awesome.
1: Punctuation. I have lots of punctuation in it you're so stoic you're just like uh, 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 uh. so like your face expressions if anyone could see us today don't put it in there but that's what it is you can't put that in there because that totally is what it is hey we're live pal and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast tales from the estate Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts.
0: Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents?
1: We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye.